death, unexpected and tragic, threw open the door to opportunity. Hello, and welcome to Bestseller, where we read and rate the latest book at the top of the New York Times hardcover fiction list. 20 minutes with us, and you'll know whether to read it or re-gift it. I'm Barbara. And I'm Brian. Today, we're reviewing Encore in Death by J.D. Robb, number one on the February 26th, 2023 list. Before we get to our new number one, tell us what else is happening on the list this week. There's actually four other novels entering this week. Someone Else's Shoes by romantic writer Jojo Moyes, Victory City by Salman Rushdie. Remember, he was stabbed on stage August last year and has only recently spoken out about the attack and his injuries. I saw a photo of him with, you know, those spectacles where one lens is black because of his eye injury. And he did say that he's regaining feeling in his hand after a lot of physical therapy. So best wishes to him. It's good to see that he's got books coming out still. Ouch. Yeah. The third uh, entry on the list that's not number one is Unnatural History. The 38th mystery by Jonathan Kellerman about his detective forensic psychologist Alex Delaware. And the fourth new book on the list, The House of Eve, which is Sadiqa Johnson's fourth novel. But let's talk about our new number one. What do we know about the author? J.D. Robb is a pseudonym for Nora Roberts. Roberts has published over 200 novels, starting with Irish Pride in 1981, most of them romances, though also quite a bit of fantasy fiction lately, often with an Irish theme reflecting her own heritage. When she started writing suspense novels in 1995, she took the pseudonym J.D. Robb for the series. Some authors are so prolific they need more than one name. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just like oversaturated. Right. She's one of those. Apparently, the J and D are from her sons, Jason and Dan, and Rob is just short for Roberts, which is interesting because Roberts, her romance, no, nov, her romance novel, Nom de Plume, is already a shortened form of her birth name, Robertson. So I guess if she starts a third series, she could shorten Rob to Ra or, or just Er. <laughs> I read that she was considering a completely different name for the mysteries, McGregor, but either she or someone on her team thought Rob would be better because then alphabetically it lines up with Roberts. But that story has to be apocryphal because no store puts the romances on the same shelf with the mysteries, no bookstore that I've ever seen. <laughs> so the alphabetical thing is is irrelevant. Well, before we get into this book, Encore and Death, let's talk about the series it's part of. Right. The series is called In Death because every title ends with that phrase, you know, rapture in death, holiday in death. She's been extraordinarily prolific and regular with these since the first one, Naked in Death, came out in 1995. She's published two every single year, two of them, which makes Encore in Death the 56th. And during that same time period, she's also published 11 short stories or novellas in the series. There's only one novel in the whole series that breaks the naming pattern. That one's called New York to Dallas, which is from 2011. That's a lot of death. A lot. <laughs> well, the series is set in the near future, late 2050s, early 2060s, mm -hmm. and follows the crime solving of the main character, Eve Dallas, a New York City homicide detective. Her real last name is unknown. She was given the name Dallas when she was eight years old and was found in an alley in the city of Dallas after apparently killing her abusive father. 
Right. So Eve Dallas was born in the year 2028. She grows up in the foster system, becomes a police officer in 2048 when she's 20. The series, though, starts in 2058 when she's a detective. So she's a 30-year-old detective when the series starts. A major continuing theme of the series is her relationship with a man named Rourke. Just Rourke. That's it. Just the one name. Kind of like Prince. They meet on Valentine's Day 2058 during book one. He's actually a suspect in the case, but gets cleared pretty quickly. They fall in love. And by June of that year, in book two, he proposes saying, I want you to marry me. Is that a request or a demand? I want you to marry me. (laughs) In the Nora Roberts world, that counts as a proposal, a very romantic proposal. They get married in book three on July 11th of the same year. Whirlwind romance. Yes, they're happily married, and they stay happily married throughout the series, which is one of the appeals for her regular readers checking in on their favorite power couple, Eve and Rourke. Why wouldn't they be happy? He's the ultimate catch. The richest man in the world, so good-looking, he could be a professional model. And as we see in this volume, he's perfectly devoted and loving. Which is also part of a romance, a la Nora Roberts. Give your girl the best that can be imagined. I did a little calculating because I was so impressed by the sheer number of volumes she's written in this series. So the series starts in February of 2058. And by this one, Encore and Death, we've only moved to late June of 2061. Three and a half years. Right. But in that time, 56 novels and 11 short stories. In other words, she solved 67 cases. Wow which means she's clearing one murder an average of every 18 days, year in, year out. Impressive productivity. But to be fair, that's what happens when you have a successful series. Bart Simpson, with all of his adventures over, what, 30-some years, has not aged a day. Um, Hercule Poirot? Exactement. He was already at retirement age when Agatha Christie started writing about him in 1920. 50 years later, when she's finishing up the series in the 1970s, he's still solving cases. What are we supposed to think? He's in his 110s? <laughs> so tell us about this book. Okay. Encore and Death, 370 pages. The dust jacket has a poster on the inside, a nice picture of a tipped-over champagne glass and a theater ticket tying into the plot, of course. Kind of a cool extra if you're a fan. Yeah, nice touch. The audiobook is, what, 13 hours and 47 minutes, read by Susan Erickson, who has done other J.D. Robb and Nora Roberts books. A professional reading, I'd call it. Yeah, I'd say there's nothing wrong with it, but nothing scintillating either. I would suggest trying to boost the readback speed if if your audio player does that, because her default pacing feels a little slow to me. Let's talk about the story in the book. So it's a pretty simple setup. A stage actress named Eliza Lane is getting ready to open a new Broadway production of the play Upstage, and she and her husband, film actor Brant Fitzhugh, are hosting a party to celebrate before he leaves town for six months to film his latest project in, I don't know, New Zealand, Australia, somewhere in there. But during the party, he drinks some champagne that, it turns out, has been spiked with cyanide uh, and dies right there in the middle of the crowd. Kind of kills the vibe. It turns out that the champagne was a signature cocktail that Brant had ordered from the bar for Eliza. But she handed it back to him without drinking it because she was getting ready to sing a duet from the show with her co-star. And standing there, listening to his wife sing, Brant went ahead and drank her champagne cocktail. Okay, which sets up the central puzzle of the mystery. Was the cocktail meant for her, Eliza, or for Brant? Not just a whodunit, but who was supposed to get it. 
So after this nice setup, we move into the usual plot for a procedural, which is what this subgenre is called. We follow Eve Dallas and her police colleagues around as they interview suspects, including an obsessive Eliza Lane fan who thinks he and she belong together, and a bitter mother whose daughter died years ago just before her opening night, which is what allowed Eliza Lane to step in and get her career started. So, you know, interviewing suspects, that's the bulk of the book. So is Eve Dallas able to solve the case of the doctored champagne? You're going to have to read the book to find out. I already did. Oh, cool. So did I. So let's talk about what we thought. Yeah, so let's go through our um, our sections. The first one that we use to review these books is grip and grab. Um, does it grab you? Does it mm-hmm. grip you? Does it hold your attention? So I actually called the perpetrator in this book at only 29% through. I always read on Kindle. Ah, so it, that's I don't, early. It is. It felt a little early, and I was not wrong. I got the deed and the motive. That's amazing. So did the story hold your attention, yes or no? This was not a book that really grabbed me and mm. held me. It was a little more of a chore to get through for me. I was. It was the first one I've ever read in this series. Okay. I, for me, grip and grab, I gave it a 1.5. Uh, out of 5, right? Yeah. So I like the story problem. I thought it was, you know, it's interesting. Was the murder intended for her or for him? However, in this genre where you have a murder and then you have police interviewing, you know, witnesses and suspects, it can tend towards boredom if you don't handle the interviews right. And the good writers, they know how to make every single interview interesting and keep your attention. I don't think she does that. Uh, I also guessed or figured out the solution, which doesn't necessarily make it not gripping. It's just disappointing when there's no extra twist at the end. Um, She also has this funny thing (laughs) that's probably very much liked by her fans. She interpolates things that are not in the genre. She's got a long sex scene three pages. She's got another scene with uh, one of her detectives, Peabody, I think, talking for two or three pages about the home redecorating plan, which is in itself pornographic, the way that it's handled. (laughs) Okay, those sections don't really fit the genre. You don't just break a whodunit to talk about home decorating for three pages. Yeah. That's called servicing the fan base. Well, I mean, I love redecorating and all things um, related, but I, I did not appreciate the way that was stuck into this. Um, and yeah, I, I, I listed that a little bit later on. It's just stuck in, and, and she actually writes those scenes quite well. That's probably her strength as a writer is sex and home decorating. But for me, I was not gripped by this book, so I gave it a one in that category. So the next category is she got flair, um, or like the musicality of it. How does the how does the prose mm. um, trip off your tongue if you're reading it out loud, or how does it sound as you're reading? And for me, there was some there were some good things, um, and a good example of her her flair for prose uh, was a quote: "A man in baggy sh- shorts and a tight white tee, with every inch of his muscular arms." Tatted, led a dog the size of a well-fed rat on a pink leash. I thought that was a great example of description. Like I could really see that. But then there were there was a lot that was not good well, that's for the, me. That's the thing about her writing is you know she can do it because every once in a while, it may take five or ten pages, you'll get a nice description. And 
you think she could do a whole book like that. But I, I've got my own examples of clunkers. Uh, here, tell me what you think of this line. The dress might have been a killer, Eve thought, but the body inside it was the true perpetrator. Lush and luxurious and not afraid to show it. Yeah, I, that didn't work for me either. I just I just don't think a woman, it was a woman making that observation in the, I just didn't think that it was. It comes across to me as very cliched. She's got some lines that hardly even make sense. Here's a short one. Behind him, the city he stood for spread. That's I had to doesn't... read that like five times. Like, what do you mean <laughs> the city spread? So I gave that a one. I'm sorry. Her prose is not scintillating. It's it's not enjoyable. Uh, the I didn't give her a zero, though. A zero would be like if there's a lot of, you know, flawed sentences, typos or grammar. And she doesn't have that. They've got professional copy editors. Yeah. So I, a one is still better than zero. <laughs> Indeed it is. <laughs> I, I actually also gave her a one in this category. Okay. So how about beam me up? The the concept of the world building. Mm -hmm. um, did, you, did you take in the world? So... I was really hopeful because when I, I hadn't read the series either and I heard it was set in the future, I'm like, that's cool, a detective series in the future. And there are futuristic things in it, um, quite a few actually. She's got, I'll just run through some of the ad blimps, tubes of Pepsi, vids. I think they're, they're not called movies anymore. They're called vids. Links, which is what they call phones. She's also got clones mentioned and droids, off-planet cages. Um, so it's, you know, there are some futuristic references, let's put it that way. Um, but in the end, it doesn't really work for me. And I, I actually thought of three different ways. One, arrested futurism. I made up mm. that term. What I mean is she started the series in 1995. And some of the things that are supposed to be happening in 2061 might have seemed futuristic 30 years ago, but mm. don't anymore. For example, she's got a whole section, uh, not section, a little line about checking out at the grocery. And it says, five checkout stations, one offered a human element to ring up and bag. The rest ran on auto and self-serve. Guess what? <laughs> That's 2023. <laughs> it was, it's not 2061. It's probably 2016 as well. <laughs> also, she's she's got this little annoying habit, speaking as a vegetarian myself, of throwing soy in like, oh, that's going to be the future. Everything is soy. Guess what? We're already there. There's meat replacements <laughs> left and right. Yeah. So that's what I call arrested futurism. She's also got what I call implausible futurism. Um, maybe it's just me, but I don't think there's going to be neckties in 40 years. <laughs> You're just hoping about I'm that. Ho I'm, yeah, I'm praying <laughs> for that. And I think the trends are promising. If you turn on ESPN, nobody wears a necktie. So she's, she's arrested in her development because her good-looking men are still wearing these nice suits with ties. Also... <laughs> Did you notice that all the phone calls are video? And I'm like, we don't, we already know we don't like video calls. We always throw it to audio if we can or text. So picturing a future where all the phone calls are video, that's implausible to me. That's interesting. And there then was... lastly, okay. I've got lazy futurism where she just throws in references to droids and, clone, and clones and off-planet cages without like building 
Without the, explaining. The infrastructure around it. Go yeah, ahead. I mean, maybe in an earlier um, one of these installments, she described, but there's some magical portable coffee machine that accompanies her everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and I always I wanted her to describe it because I want to. I want someone to create one of those. Well, to be fair, we haven't wa- read volumes 1 through 55. Maybe it's all explained. Maybe it's all explained. There was another futuristic concept that I didn't, um, I, I don't think this would work. It, she at some point said, send a text straight to V-mail. And if she doesn't mean voicemail, she must mean video mail and <clears throat> I would never want a text to turn into a video mail I just that doesn't make any sense to me so I gave this a one well I was a little more generous I gave it a two just because I liked that it's set in the future I, I just feel like it was a little hand wavy a little disappointing so how about the next category which is new best friends Right. This is our category for characters, which obviously is very important for any reading experiences. Do we like the characters or do we dislike them in a way that we find them fascinating and interesting and want to hang around a bit? So obviously this is part of the pull for her fan base. They want to find out what's happening with Eve and Rourke. It didn't work for me. It just didn't. Um, now, he is supportive of her. I like that. I like a healthy relationship as a break from what we usually read. He's, he's got this nice little line when she's leaving every day. He says, take care of my cop. And it's endearing. And, you know, the interplay between them is definitely part of the series. I'm, why don't we play an audio clip now, just a short clip of them um, working together. So he's um, they're in the elevator and they're talking about the case a little bit. Sure. She's the spouse. And the spouse is always a contender. Ah, is that part of the marriage rules? It's in the, what do you call it, forward. The pros and cons of marriage. He had to laugh. You have a list of pros and cons? Sure. She released the hold then stepped out. Is it a general list or specific to us? Oh, you've got your own separate list, pal. The coffee and the sex weigh heavy on the pro side, but in general, pros are companionship, accessibility to free sex, like minds, or close enough, if you're lucky, somebody who tolerates your flaws, and so on. Cons are potential cheating, assholiness, is that a word? In my book, yeah. Boredom, which leads to both of the above. Someone who ends up griping about all your flaws because now they're living with them. Meddling in-laws, divorce. And the big? Somebody who decides to kill you dead. So I like how she's got the the Irish bro going there, and that gives you a little taste of their their interplay. Um, she does work with her husband on these cases, and um, it's it's pretty fun. But, but for me, no, the characters don't work. The... The way that she writes romance, like, okay, he's the best looking guy in the world. He's the richest guy in the world. He's the most loving and supporting ever. It's all very cartoonish to me. And um, it's like, let's give let's give uh, Eve the best of all possible worlds. It's quite, it's, it reminds me of comic books. Like when teenage boys in 20-some, they're like, wouldn't it be cool if we ran really fast? Let's build a character like that. Wouldn't it be cool if I could fly <laughs> and if bombs just bounced off my chest? That's kind of how she writes her her romance. Wouldn't it be cool if, if my lover is the best looking guy in the world and the richest? It's like she writes comic books, but they 
they forgot to put in the pictures. (laughs) Well, for me, I didn't have any trouble with Rourke. He wasn't the one that I actually appreciated that he was attentive and he was loving and supportive and he made dinner. Um, I thought those were all good things. And I didn't think it was cartoonish. Um, But I didn't, for me, the new best friends category did not get a very high score. I, I like this whole thing about the craft room detour that you mentioned earlier. Like it was like standing at a party and two people are talking and they just start talking about something that only they care about. And I'm just left, I'm left reading. Like, why am I reading this? I don't, this doesn't, uh, it doesn't advance the story. It doesn't advance the character. And I'm left out, even though I like craft stuff. So I I just, I just, that did not work for me. There was one little bit character that I really Mm -hmm. thought was maybe the, um, the quickest little caricature. Um, I thought she was really cute. She said to her coworker, stuff it, Jerry. This isn't just police business. It's humanity's business. Humanity, Jerry. I thought that was great. Yeah, that's pretty good. Now, to be fair, all these characters have been around for many, many volumes, and some of it's already been set up for the regular readers. The problem for me is I didn't like the main character, and that's that's fatal when you're trying to get into a new series. Let me just tell you what I mean. So her name is Eve Dallas. She's a cop. Um, there are certain like quirks thrown in that I think the writer is trying to, I don't know, make her seem tough or something. But to me, she just seems kind of um, mean, like the way she talks about and to the media. Like it's part of her job to talk to the media, but she's got all this this long description of how much she hates it. And then she gets into the room and she calls them hounds. She's rude to them. She says, shut the hell up. And this is a direct quote from the book. And she says, I'm standing here instead of working this case. And anybody who wastes my time will be ignored. (laughs) Well, that's your job to talk to the media. I mean, why are you being so mean to them? And then even worse, she's, she's mocking and belittling. There's a suspect who obviously has some mental problems. And she says to him, one pair of scissors in the hand of a delusional fuckwit. And she calls him a crybaby. And then she says to one of the other cops, crazy as fuck and pathetic with it. Well, wow. yeah, he's okay. <laughs> he's got mental problems. Um, she also mocks the tourists that come to New York City. Do you remember that section? Yeah. I mean, literally mocks them. There, there's, ooh, Mabel, Eve did some jazz hands. Look at all the billboards. Oh, my goodness. Gawk, gawk. Look at those blimps. Things like that don't happen in Nobody Goes There, Idaho. So she's trying to build character. But Eve comes across to me as mean and insulting. And and even worse, uh, I don't know. I want to know what you thought about this. She's got this this long-running thing about her trouble with words. Like yeah. she doesn't understand words very well. And she keeps like questioning, like, why do they call it a curtain call? Nobody's being called. Well, yeah, they are. Why is it called a red letter day and not a green letter? This comes like over and over and over again. What, yeah. what do you think about that? I didn't, that didn't work for me. I just, I didn't feel like if somebody can't understand, like, like the revenge is like a salad. Oh, let like, me read that bit. Really it didn't just, work. It, so here's the little passage. And there's the whole payback is a salad thing. That's Eve speaking. He looked, meaning Rourke, as he rarely did, baffled. All right, you've lost me. How is payback like a salad? It doesn't have to be hot, right? You eat it cold. A salad. And then he says, revenge, darling Eve, is a dish best served. 
cold. Yeah, I feel I feel like if you have to explain it at that level to her, like it's not cute, it's not funny, it's just like, well, how is she going to solve a murder if she can't even figure out a cliche? Yeah, and then it gets worse because then she's got like math anxiety, and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's so. <laughs> She's trying to build a character here. It just didn't work for me. I kind of disliked her. So I yeah. gave that category a one. I gave that category a one as well. So then the last category that we use to review these books is all the feels. Like, yeah. did you have an emotional reaction? For me, I had no chills. Ugh. I had no, um, I didn't have really any excitement. I didn't, I mean, I chuckled once or twice, okay. but I didn't really laugh out loud at anything. And I certainly didn't cry. I mean, so yeah. I gave that category a one. Ouch. You know, I had the same. And I have to say, I, I did give it a one. And this is what we want from fiction. We want to have a, an emotional reaction. And, you know, the, all the things we already talked about, her prose is not great. The characters didn't grab me. The case is simple enough that both of us figured it out very early on and then to add to all that the motivation for the crime at the end was heavy-handed and unconvincing i had very little emotion in this this book unfortunately so i gave that a one so when we add all of our numbers up our average comes out to be 1.15 oof yeah that's on a scale of five stars so when we go on our goodreads account accounts we will give it a one star and I, I think it's valid for us. Now, if you look at what it's getting on Amazon and Goodreads, Amazon has 9,600 ratings, average 4.7. Goodreads has 8,800 ratings, average 4.51. Now, of course, these are fans that are doing this. Yeah, and if you're a fan, you probably will love this book too. We're not saying that you shouldn't read it. Um, no, just, of course not. Just for me, my opinion, it didn't yeah. work very well. And I, I will say this reading some of the reviews not every fan was thrilled a couple of them said this is below her usual standard and i also noticed that there's some kind of i don't know what you'd call it grade inflation going people who who wrote that they didn't like it very well still gave it a three or a four so it's like if i like it it's a five if i don't like it it's a four so that's another reason why their scores are so much higher than ours yeah i want to use the whole spectrum if i don't like it it's a one well you're willing to use a zero <laughs> so she did better than that <laughs> Okay, so um, there you go. There's our review. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on Bestseller. Visit us on brianandbarbara.com. Check out our Goodreads accounts, Brian Luke and Barbara Luke. And we'll see you next episode when we get to read and review Stormwatch by CJ Box. And until then, keep dreaming, keep flying. Keep laughing, keep crying. And don't stop until you've read them all. <laughs>